Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn uh, to Matthew chapter 9. And uh, right, I will warn you, uh, sometimes I like to get interactive, and so uh, sometimes our questions are rhetorical, and sometimes I actually want you to talk back to me. Um, that's okay, I don't really mind that. Uh, unless you're like really crazy, then I guess you have to go. But otherwise, um, we like to have a little bit of interaction, because a big part of learning is kind of like interacting. Because you understand a little bit about what you read, uh, you understand a little bit more about what you say, and you understand quite a bit more when you read it and you say it and then you do it. And so at least while we're sitting here, we could at least do two out of those three things. And so that's why interaction is sometimes helpful. Uh, so Matthew chapter 9, and in the Blue Bibles, do we have a page? Page 12. Page 12? Uh, that's the White Bible. So the White Bible is page 12, and then the Blue Bible is page 687. Alright, so that's where we are. Uh, we are in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, we'll be going through the book of Matthew, um, and uh, at this particular point, we're going to take a look at the author of this book. So this guy, Matthew, we're going to take a look at him. Who was he? What did he do? Um, and then we're going to come to a place where it's like, okay, that's interesting to hear about his life. Uh, what does that have to do with mine, really, in 2012? Like, good for Matthew. But what does that really have to do with me? And then we're also going to see um, one of the areas where Jesus gets really fired up and he gets really irritated and really be and come, becomes a name caller a lot of times at a particular group of people. And we're going to see why he does that. You might not picture Jesus as a name caller, uh, but he had some vocabulary under his belt and he knew how to throw, throw it around. Um, calling people whitewashed tombs and, you know, a brood of vipers. I mean, those aren't really nice names. And so, uh, Jesus, meek and mild, who's, you know, so nicey-nice, uh, sometimes isn't like that. And so we're going to take a look at why that is. Because there's an important reason behind that. So, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start off uh, in verse 9. And so it says, as Jesus went on from there, we'll talk about where he was, he saw a man uh, named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So he's like writing in third person here. So Matthew, he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Everybody say tax. Tax. There you go. And so Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, say sinners, Sinners came and ate, right? And, and when we do that, we'll go, we'll go like that. When we do sinners, so we we'll say sinners, 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 right? Slyle sinners, okay? Because that's the way, like they looked at them, like they were just these sinners, you know, kind of like with a little bit of a scowl to it, you know. Joe's got a good face for going right now. He's got his tongue out and everything. So we have sinners, right? Because that's the way that they saw them. So it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, right? And he says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And so we got verses 9 through 13 is what we're talking about. And uh, we're obviously trying to uh, shorten it up a little bit so we can enjoy some uh, picnic time. And we won't dive super deep into it, but there are a couple of things um, that we're going to point out from this that I think really applies to us. Uh, one of them being the smartest decision somebody ever made. And then the second thing, second thing being is that we're kind of that sinner's type group. And the title of the message was uh, God's Most Wanted. That's the title of the message. And uh, it's kind of misleading. God's Most Wanted is really everybody. Okay? But he's making a particular point in the story to really go after maybe a group of people that really aren't that well liked and aren't really uh, that much valued and even looked down upon. Sinners. You know, with the scowl. So, let's take a look at the first part. The smartest move he ever made. And we're talking about Matthew here, right? And that's really in verse 9. And what he is, Matthew. His original name is Levi. That's his original name. And it wasn't uncommon uh, to get another name uh, when your life really changed dramatically. You remember it happened with Peter. His name originally was Simon. And so you have this guy, Levi, and his job was really a toll collector. So you think of toll collectors, you know, on the on the mass pike, and uh, you think of somebody working for the IRS. Anybody, I got a picture of a guy up here. Anybody know this guy? John Carpenter. You know that guy, John Carpenter? From Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He was the first winner on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he's from Hamden, Connecticut. And it happened way back November 19th, I think, 2009. And uh, when they introduced him, uh, he said, you know, this is, you know, John Carpenter from Hamden, Connecticut, and uh, he works for the IRS, and then he got like half booze, you know, and half cheers. And that kind of is like what surrounds this guy Levi, who we know as Matthew, this kind of aura that surrounds him. And so what he would do is he'd sit on the road, and if this was the road, you know, he would sit there, and it kind of uh, it went through Israel, and it went from between a couple of different regions, it was pretty long, and so he was familiar with um, you know, wheat, and he was familiar uh, with grains, and he was familiar with uh, olives and livestock and everything. And what he was supposed to do is as he came down the road, right, he would tax you on it. Because that property was owned by the Roman Empire. And he worked for them. And so already people don't like him too much. You know, he's working for the Roman Empire. Almost like somebody working for the IRS. And so, he works for the Roman Empire, he comes along, and you come along, you know, with all the things that you have, you know, your family, your belongings, and all your stuff. And he'd say, okay, you owe such and such for a tax. And but he, what he would do is he would inflate it, because he knew he had to pay Rome, but he had to pay him. But he also wanted to make some money for himself. And so he would inflate it, and then he would just really take advantage of his own countrymen. So, like, this guy is just not really liked at all. I mean, you could imagine if it was, like, one of your own working for the enemy, number one, and then number two, whenever you see them, they're just looking to make money off of you. And so that's why they are just not really liked at all. So it's not a bad position, but he was definitely taking advantage of it. And everybody knew it. And so what happens here... As we see in verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, after he just finished doing the healing, which we talked about last week, the, guy, the man, the paralytic, says he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus just walks by and he goes, Follow me. And it says Matthew just got up and he followed him. And this story is also paralleled 
um, wrote again and, and Luke, and it says that he left everything. He just had all his stuff, he left everything, and he just went. So I guess there's no tolls after that, I don't really know. But uh, he left everything right then and there, and then just followed him. And then what happens is, it turns out to be a dinner at his house. And so we were talking about before about social media stuff, right? And so this was not like a Twitter, you know, are you going to follow me type thing. When Jesus says, follow me, this is like leave everything, your whole life, all that you have, whatever you're used to, your way of making money, and come follow me. And I'm curious if it was just like an instantaneous thing. You just saw him for the first time and just said, hey, come on, let's go. Or if Matthew was just like kind of around and he heard stuff and saw him and kind of, I don't know. It's interesting to see how it worked out. But nonetheless, when Jesus made the call to him, when Jesus made the call to him, hey, follow me, okay, I'm gone. And he had no idea what was coming next. Like, no idea at all, nothing. Not prepared, he just dropped everything. So it's a little different than Twitter status, right? This is altogether change your entire life to come follow me. And so like I said before, well, good for Matthew. That's really good. I'm happy for him. And then you've had people say that to you. That's great. You found religion. That's really good. Right? That's a good thing. Yeah, you know, okay, thank you very much. Um, but what if, what if it says in the Bible that we're all called? What if we were all called? What if Jesus actually says to all of us, hey, follow me? Now, he doesn't walk around with his little entourage right now with the 12 apostles and Matthew being in there and they go around doing their work. I don't know, maybe they'll show up at the picnic. That'd be kind of cool. Um, I definitely want to play him one-on-one. I'm not sure who will win. I'll spot him a couple points and we'll see what happens. But, I'm kidding. So, that doesn't really happen. But, in the Bible, it does make it very clear, and you wouldn't know it if you, if you don't really spend any time reading it, but it's very clear that we're also called to follow him. So the follow me, just like it wasn't for Matthew and his life, and wow, that's great. And then he became one of the apostles, and just one of the, geez, one of the most famous people in history. And uh, I mean, just his name is awesome. Matthew means gift of God. I mean, it just it changed everything about him. Everything in his life. So good for him. But actually... We are called to, and we want it to be good for us. Now, why are we called by Jesus? How do we know? Well, if we believe the Bible, and if we would call ourselves Christians, there's two places where it makes it really clear. So, Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16. I think that's on the next slide, and we got Romans 11. So, on the next slide, we have Colossians 1. Here's what that says. And Paul wrote this. He said, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. What did they say? Through him? Through him. And for him. Right? Through him. For him. So I was like, created, and you were created, and you know my little beautiful baby boy, and like everything that's ever existed on this planet, created through God in a, in a, in a perfect way, that was the intent, 
But then sin kind of came into the picture and just really brought things far away from God that really intended. But at the very beginning, created, Jesus is right there. It says right there. You know, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And so if I'm created to be for Him, for Jesus, for God, I mean, the follow me part is just the same. And instead of Jesus walking around, now Jesus used different avenues. It looks a little bit different nowadays. There's churches. There's other Christian men and women and friends. All kinds of different avenues that Jesus uses where He says, hey, follow me. And many times, it's like a still small voice inside of us. Maybe you remember the first time that you really committed yourself all the way in to follow Jesus. Maybe you remember that. And maybe it was like a radical experience. Or maybe it wasn't. I remember my first time I was in Groton, Connecticut at the basement of a church. I was nine years old and I was in Sunday school class. And uh, the Sunday school teacher was talking about hell. And that's great, you know. Awesome. So scared the little kids. And so he scared me. And uh, I was like, wow, I do not want to go to that place. You know, so I did a prayer then and there. I was like, I want no part of that. And so, you know, I'm a kid, but, you know, who knows what I'm doing, you know, and it's kind of scary. And who would want to go there in their right mind? You know, but then as you get older, you start to understand life a little bit differently and see what's kind of going on and what's at play, and you're able to make better decisions. And then I remember being at a summer camp. Uh, summer camp, I was 15, 16 years old. Uh, and at that point in time, I was at the camp and in the chapel, and for whatever reason, I, I don't remember the message that day. I don't really remember the guy who was playing the music and doing the worship, uh, but I do remember uh, feeling at that time, this is right. I don't have all the answers. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out and what I'm going to do. And I know I said that prayer thing when I was younger, but think like this is definitely the right thing for me to do. I, it just feels right. I don't have all the answers. I'm not quite sure, but it feels right. And so I believe that that's part of that follow me type voice, follow me type experience. You know, and then later on in life, we get older and start to understand more things. And what happens is like we kind of grow through this process of, hey, listen, follow me. Are you going to do it? Here's your choices. Are you going to make that choice really to follow me. And so we're all really called to do it. So good for Matthew, but I hope it's also good for us. And hopefully we can follow his motto. But he just followed immediately. He dropped it all and he just went. That's, uh, that's pretty difficult, especially if you're, like you're a really planned, organized type person. You make a list for everything and everything has to be a certain way and you'll never rush into a decision. That's really difficult for those types of people. But then there's the other types of people that are like, oh yeah, let's go do it, you know? And then they're all over the place. Oh yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know, and then they get into it and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do this thing. But sometimes there could actually be a good decision if we go spontaneously. And that's what happened here. And what happened is he had to leave everything. He had to leave his entire livelihood and his money. He had some good money. He was making good money as a tax collector. And you had to leave it. Sometimes that's the case. Where Jesus comes in, rearranges everything, and you have to totally change your life. Sometimes that's the case. It's not always the case. 
Sometimes you continue on your life, you continue you know, in your job, in your family, and in kind of your circle and in your area, but then he weeds things out. So there's still change that happens, but it's a little bit different. I got a picture of a guy up here. This guy, Brian uh, Welsh. Anybody know that guy, Brian Welsh? So Brian Welsh used to be in the band Corn. Yeah, he's a sinner, right? If anybody's a sinner, it's this guy, right? Just look at that guy. Right? He just looks like he'd be bad news. And so this guy was in corn. Um, and at that particular time, uh, early 2000s, two Grammys. And uh, I believe he was uh, the guitarist for them. And, you know, his money was filled with uh, life. Uh, life, obviously. But money, popularity, uh, fame. And uh, at the same time, marriage falling apart, uh, becoming a single dad, and then uh, he was also hooked on drugs. And so this is obviously an extreme case. But what had to happen when he committed his life, and he has a pretty awesome story, and you can Google it later when you go home, it's a pretty great testimony and story. Um, he had to change everything. Almost like Matthew, he just had to, ch he had to get out of the scene. He just couldn't be around the scene at all. He had to change it all. Not all of our lives are quite that dramatic. We're like, we were at this place, you know, and then we had to change, you know, and go somewhere else. Sometimes he does it other ways. But I would say that he follows the model that Matthew set forth pretty well. He had this experience. He knew he had to follow Jesus. He didn't have all the answers. In fact, he had just a really bad history, but then he just still went for it. So that's one part I think we could take away from the passage for sure. Smartest move that Matthew ever made in his life. Because everybody in the world knows who Matthew is. And he was one of the apostles. He walked with Jesus. I mean, he experienced things that we'll never probably see in a lifetime. And he probably would have made a good life, a good living, staying in his job. He probably would have done okay. And he probably could have raised that money, probably given it to charities, done other good things with it. And it would have been okay. But God's got a whole nother plan for us. If we actually believe what the Bible says. But there's a whole nother plan whereas a future and a hope. And if we stay glued to Him, He will open up those doors. I don't know how. I don't know what it would look like. You might not know how. How it might look. But the promise is there. And it happened for this guy. And he didn't have much going for him at all. So what's the other thing? So the smartest move Matthew ever made. We can certainly take away from that and absorb some of that because I got to follow Jesus for sure. I'm called to do it. The second part is the sin-sick souls. This is what I call it. The sin-sick souls. Because let's take a look at what's going on here. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, right? The sinners. If you forget everything today, remember the sinners part. The sinners, right, came and ate with them and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it was weird the way they did meals back then. You go to somebody's house, they had all these kind of pillows set up. You weren't really at a table. It wasn't really what they did. They'd lay down on their side. They'd have food there. And other people could come if they'd like and kind of stand and watch. It's kind of weird. Um, so I guess you wouldn't have to make food for everybody. And you kind of have an audience all the time. It's really kind of different. And so the sinners 
And the tax collectors were out there eating, and then you had the Pharisees, and you could just picture them with their arms folded, you know, nose up, and just, you know, oh, those other people, you know? Those other people. We're not associated with those other people, yes. So they're there. And Jesus, this just makes him irritated. And this is where a lot of the names and things come from when we talk about Jesus later on. It says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, at this time, Pharisees, religious religious leaders, is what they are. And for us, like it would be a good picture, we'd be related to like a church. Okay? And what they would have then, they created this scenario of like an us versus them. We're like the good, clean, Christian, white people, and we're just the dirty sinners. Right? And they kind of created this whole dynamic where they really uplifted themselves and kind of downplayed everybody else. And I think that many people today could definitely relate to that. I think if we were to ask and take a poll on most people, how they feel about church, how they think about God, how they think about Christianity, um, most, more times than not, they're going to say, hey, it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, you know, then you can say, hey, there's always room for one more. Um, but, you know, but, but that's their point, uh, is that they're a bunch of hypocrites. They always feel like they're being judged. And many times, Christians were known for things that were against and what we're for. And what we should be for is for people. We should be for grace. We should be for the value within them. That's like what should be the goal. And that's what just frustrates Jesus. He's like, I did not intend for you to represent me in this way. You are so far off in this case. And so Jesus tries to go out then and sets this new model. Kind of reminded me of this poem that I read uh, this past week. It says, the title of it was, No One Expected Me. It says, I dreamed death came the other night, and heaven's gate swung wide. With kindly grace an angel fair ushered me inside. And there, to my astonishment, stood folks I'd known on earth. Some I judged and labeled as unfit of little worth. Indignant words rose to my lips, but never were set free. For every face showed stunned surprise, no one expected me. Right? Very, very interesting and very similar to see what's going on here. John Burke wrote this uh, this week. He says, The world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You don't have to be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or help the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Right? We should be like specialized in that business of being able to offer grace. Got to be. Like that's what we're called to do. And many times, that's going to mean going and just meeting people where they are at. Many times, um, you know, we want to try and to uh, invite them, you know, to certain events, to picnics or to other things and have them come to the church. But we also have to do our job of like just going to meet people where they are. 
go to some bars. And if they want to talk about Jesus, hey, let's talk about it. But then if they don't, you know, then they don't. You don't push it. But like, let's go see where people are. Because I think if we put that meal in today's terms, Jesus was with, you know, pimps and drug addicts. Like, that's who he was hanging out with. And you could probably see many other pastors and holy people saying, what is he doing with them? Oh my gosh, you have to avoid the appearance of evil. You should not go near that stuff. Like, you shouldn't take part in that. What if they rub off on him? That could be something similar if we had to look at it through a 2012 lens. But Jesus was interested in giving them the truth and modeling what true love is supposed to be about. And that's why he gives them that quote at the end. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Because he's essentially saying to them, listen, what I want you to do is go out and actually love people. It's just not enough to go out there and look really good, say some the right prayers, give money. I actually want you. And I want you to go want other people. Want their hearts be invested into them. That is what is important. And he's trying to remind them of that. And that's why in the bulletins, you see on the front page there, uh, in the bulletins, um, our kind of slogan and theme for right now might change, but at least for right now is, He wants your heart. And this is what Isaiah verses are about. It says, The Lord says, uh, These people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on uh, merely human rules that have been taught. And I think so many times, like, that's what religion, that's what we're living in all the time. If you go to the place, and you follow the rules, and you do the stuff, then God is happy with it. And that's what got Jesus so mad and irritated half the time. Because they were experts at it. Nobody was better than them. And that's why Jesus sarcastically calls them righteous. Because they're the best at doing all of that stuff. But on the inside... It was gross. Jesus didn't have access to that. Because they didn't really care. They just wanted to put up the appearance like that. And so that's what drove him crazy. And that's why he got into those conversations. And sometimes seemed pretty harsh with them. So let's close with two thoughts. Two thoughts as we close. Because we're supposed to be shorter today. So we'll close with two thoughts. So first thought. Ryan, I think they come up up here. Have I made that move? Right? If we're all called to the follow me, and if Jesus is really saying that to everyone, we really got to ask ourselves, have I made that move? Am I following? Did I actually go after and follow him? Is he calling me to lay some things aside? Will I do it? Will I not do it? And maybe some people would say, no. Well, then you want to think about exactly what you're doing here. And then you want to really evaluate kind of where you're at. And if you said yes, and your life has never changed, it's never been different. For the sake of Christ, if it's never been different, and you said yes, then you really got to think about, geez, what the heck am I doing? I'm trying to like combo this thing. I'm trying to, you know, follow Jesus, but then have all my stuff too. You got to really evaluate that and think about that. And then the second part, is cleanliness, godliness for me. 
is cleanliness, godliness for me? Because some people, you know, have that saying, well, cleanliness is godliness. Well, not exactly. I mean, I hear what they're saying, you know, but not exactly the point. Super clean, nice, tight, following all the rules, doing all the standing up, sitting down, and all the right prayers, and saying the right thing, and having the Christianese language. It's all pretty nice. But on the inside, what is really going on? I mean, it blows my mind that, you know, we could go to church faithfully, that we could serve faithfully, that we could give faithfully, and still might not make it into heaven. It's crazy. But that's what the Bible teaches. Why? Because why we are doing it is almost even more important than what we're actually doing. That's what the Bible says. And if the Bible is real, you've got to start thinking about that. Why am I doing it? Am I doing it because everybody else before me did it? Am I doing it because it's just the right thing to do and if I didn't do it, you know, it'd be weird? Got to think about, you know, why? Why? What are we doing it for? So what we're going to do is uh, I think Tim going to come up, close us uh, in song. And um, after uh, Tim's done, um, in song, we'll, we'll head outside to the picnic and I'll kind of tell you exactly what's going on and what we're doing. Um, but I would encourage you, uh, during the song, you know, praying just like I will, um, where exactly am I at on that follow me scale? Because the call is really for all of us, not just for Matthew, but it is for all of us. And then secondly, does Jesus really have access to the inside of me? Or am I just trying to make it look pretty good on the outside? Que va en un camino corto delgado. Si yo no tengo cuidado, los picos, como dicen en el mensaje de Rocky, pero 